Hello and welcome to Fly With Your Shadow, the podcast all about music, mental health and illness, and the mess that the COVID pandemic has made of all of it. I'm Jeff Robson and this show comes to you from my home in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Throughout my life I've struggled with and been surrounded by mental illness. It took many dark and difficult years before I learned just how common mental illnesses are and learned the value of talking about my struggles. I've always been a pretty solitary loner with very few close, true friends. The majority of my childhood and youth was spent alone with my thoughts. For as long as I can remember, music has been a best friend and a salvation. Music moves me and soothes me and helps me to feel less alone. My love of music eventually led me to apply to volunteer at the University of Manitoba's campus and community radio station, UMFM. It was 20 years ago this month that I got to sit behind the board for the first time, and I've been there ever since. Since 2002, I've had my very own show called Tell the Band to Go Home. This show kind of grew out of all of those things, my passion for discussing mental health and illness and my love of radio. Through and for Tell the Band to Go Home, I hear a lot of new music. I hear a lot of things that I like and I enjoy, but it seems pretty rare that I hear something brand new to me that really stops me in my tracks and demands my full attention from the very first listen. Earlier this year, I listened to an album by an artist that I'd never heard of before, but became an instant lifelong fan of. I'm very excited to share a conversation that I had with that artist on this episode. I am Stephanie Lambring, and I am a singer-songwriter and waiter of tables <laughs> and, <laughs> and human being. I think that pretty much sums it up. <laughs> that album that I heard is called Autonomy by Stephanie Lambring. It's got everything that I love, great memorable melodies, great playing and production, and strong lyrics that really move me. It's without a doubt one of the most powerful and amazing 2020 releases that I've heard. Stephanie Lambring's songs are about difficult topics, and the stories they contain are often dark and sad. Her official biography sums the album up really well. It says, Autonomy centers around what it is to have the ability to make your own decisions, to truly own the course your life takes. Lambring examines topics that sound familiar, like things you've thought about before, from childhood embarrassments that still pop up now and again, to relationships that were bad choices from the beginning, from the constant desire to still please parents, to what in the world it feels like to try and understand evangelical Christianity in the current iteration of America. That sounds about right to me. I wondered how such an incredible writer could seemingly come from nowhere and grab my attention so solidly. It turns out that she's not new to songwriting at all. She spent five years writing songs for a Nashville publishing house, hoping to write the next big country hit. Eventually, she became disillusioned with writing to Formula and writing for other people and turned her back on the publishing deal. She spent time traveling and on her own, finding herself and finding her voice again. In 2020, amid the ongoing global pandemic, Autonomy was released to rave reviews from fans, publications, other songwriters, and nerdy song lovers like me. 
One song on the record in particular really caught my attention. The song and the powerful video that accompanies it details Stephanie Lambring's struggle with a dangerous eating disorder. Eating disorders are a mental illness. It's distorted thinking that can be dangerous and even deadly. Even though eating disorders are so common, I admit to knowing very little about them. But the song gave me an instant feel for how these disorders develop and how debilitating they can become. I reached out hoping that Stephanie might be willing to tell me a bit more about the song and her story behind it. Boy, did she ever. Friends, I think this is the most powerful and personal episode of this show yet. Stephanie bravely told me about the intimate details of her struggle and the dark thoughts that motivated it. I can see how some of those details might be difficult for some people to hear because I know that far too many people have struggled with their body image. And many people have developed unhealthy habits in their relentless pursuit of an ideal body weight and shape which doesn't even exist. If hearing the details of this story might be too painful for you, either because it's too much like your own story or that of someone you care about, I urge you to get help immediately. Please reach out to a physician or a therapist, probably both, to start taking steps toward a healthier diet and a better self-image. I also want to tell you that the way you look is not what defines your value or your true beauty. You have so much more to offer the world than a slim body. You're loved and can love and help other people regardless of how you look and feel about the size and shape of your body. With all of that in mind, I hope you'll sit back and learn something and enjoy this powerful talk with Stephanie Lambert. So for those of us who aren't familiar, can you give us a bit of the brief backstory? Because although this is your first big release, I suppose, it sounds like you've been making music for a while. Yeah, um, well, I I started writing, I started singing whenever I was 15. And um, I did like a bunch of country. At, at that time, I went into like the local country music and church scene, I guess you could say. And so I played at a lot of local country music shows, kind of like many versions of the Grand Ole Opry, if you will. It's There would be a house band, and then they would have probably three or four headlining guests that sang maybe four or five cover songs. I'm putting, I'm throwing out so many numbers. Anyway, <laughs> I would do this on the weekends a lot in high school and then would sing it at churches and uh, just kind of got a lot of experience singing in that realm, but it didn't really feel like home to me. And then whenever I was 19, I um, was in a bad car wreck and got dumped. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah. And then the country songs started to come. <laughs> they came very naturally. <laughs> so, so that's kind of how it started for me, really. I knew I was going to go to college in Nashville. I had to put that on hold for a semester because my the car wreck happened that, just that summer after I graduated from high school. And um, I couldn't bear weight on my leg. So we were like, well, let's just put off college for a second. And uh, yeah, I started writing that semester and haven't stopped. 
Oh, well, I guess there's more to the story too. There's a lot that happened after that. Um, <laughs> then I, you know, I, I, I wrote for myself, got more into that, really, really loved that compared to the country music shows that I did in high school. And then um, after, after college, I decided to pursue the publishing deal world. And that's where I definitely learned a lot about the craft, but also got further and further away from writing for myself because they sign you because of how you write for yourself. And then the expectation becomes like, what songs are you going to write for other people? And that ended up being very disheartening for me. So after five years of doing that, I left my second publishing deal and just took a total break from music. And um, yeah, this album in that five years, I slowly came back to doing music authentically. And that's what this album is pretty much. So writing for other people, you, you must kind of get a sense of, I mean, it must teach you a lot about kind of what, what people think a good song is. You, you must kind of have to learn some of the tricks of the trade that, that make a quote unquote good song. Yeah, there's definitely somewhat of a formulaic approach to writing in that way, which some of it I don't hate, really. Like, I like just this is the kind of writing I gravitate toward naturally and write myself is fairly direct. And I like, well, more than fairly direct, but I, <laughs> um, I like telling a story that makes sense. And in that way, I feel like I really could get into the publishing deal, you know, the Nashville songwriter thing. I feel like I could embrace that because it works with how my brain is wired. Um, like, let's, let's make a, you know, we have this, des we have the start, we have a destination, let's make it make sense in the middle, not super abstract. Like, my brain likes that. Um, and there are rules that, and I don't think about them as much anymore because I've tried to, well, I've kept some of them. Um, <laughs> you want to unlearn those things now. Yes. But you know, like using the same word, I remember this coming up all the time in my co-writing sessions. Like you have a word that you use in the first verse or, or in any verse, then you can't use that in the chorus then. And yeah. I definitely don't do that now, <laughs> but some of it I've kept and some of it I'm like, nah, we need to separate from that a little bit. Yeah. That must be, that must be interesting to, to kind of grow up learning and writing your own songs one way and then have to turn it around and, and kind of learn different rules. And now, now you want to kind of go back to what you were doing before, but you also want to have learned a few things as well. So <laughs> bit of a confusing process I would imagine yeah it, it it definitely was but now I think I see the benefits of all of it and um you know not everything has to be good or bad you can like that's I think the thing that I'm that's hammered into me all the time and all 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 the things of the world you know it's it, there's a lot more nuance than than we humans want to allow <laughs> 
And so when you left the publishing, you were ready to just hang up the guitar and not do it anymore? You were that done with it? Um, I don't know if I would say that because I was afraid, I was terrified of, I was terrified of, of uh, losing that part of myself. Like music was my identity and um, it still is. I don't know if that's healthy, you know, like it just... <laughs> it probably is too much of my identity. Some people would probably say, but I don't know how it couldn't be at the same time. But whenever I, uh, whenever I left, I wasn't, I didn't want to hang it up forever, but I knew that I had to hang it up at least temporarily in order to have a hope of coming back to it. Yeah. So you needed a little bit of distance before it felt exciting again. Yeah. And, and to figure out, um, I think well, in, in kind of touching on what we just touched on, um, I tend to be, my brain wants to go black and white thinking. And I had like this idea, I saw all these other peers of mine that seemed to be excelling in the publishing world um, sphere. So I thought since I didn't feel like that, maybe it wasn't meant for me. Um, if I didn't love or get excited about every single second, then is this not right? And then that kind of created another, it just a complex web of emotions. Also, you know, I felt pressure. A lot of people's parents are like, oh, you do music for fun, but you've got to get a real job. <laughs> Mine were the opposite. It was like, you need to do music don't work, don't get a real job. You have to do music. And that was kind of, um, and which sounds nice, but like added a different, it was another layer of pressure on me when it, when they meant well, but it was like, I have to do this. And it, it just, it just created quite a complex web of feelings about myself as a, do I really, you know, do I really enjoy this? Am I doing this for me? Am I doing this for other people? That it, it was very confusing. And and so did you did you write a lot of songs during the kind of layoff, or um, or did they all just start coming, you know, fairly recently before making the record? So I I didn't write after I left my publishing deal. I didn't write anything for a year, um, which was strange, but I, I didn't really. I didn't have the desire to really pick up my guitar and write things down. And, you know, I enjoyed the, the freedom of not having this running note on my phone of all these catchy song titles that I needed, you know? Um, so I, I didn't write for a year. And then one of the patrons at the, the restaurant where I was working uh, was, is a very, very successful songwriter. And he, said to me, or he would, you know, we got to know each other over that, that year. And he would check in with me about my creativity. And I would always, he would say, are you writing anything? And I'd say, no. And then one day he said, anybody can write a song in two weeks. And then he wrote down his email address and told me to send him something whenever I wrote something I loved. So I went home 
home and I wrote Daddy's Disappointment within two weeks. And then, yeah, and then sent it to him. And he um, he pretty much immediately wrote me back and said that he related to it as a father and as a son, and that he and his wife wept while they were listening. And so I thought, first of all, I was like crying. And then second, I was like, well, I guess I've still got it. <laughs> and <laughs> And I think after that, that song set the bar for the level of honesty that I wanted in my future songs. And slowly after that, I'm not the most prolific writer ever. I I'm not writing all the time. I have to discipline myself to write. Um, it, it's not just like flowing out of me. I'm more methodical, but yeah, it's slow. After that song slowly started coming out of me. That's amazing. And, and I mean, Daddy's Disappointment is, is definitely one of the best songs on the record. And it's, it's certainly one that people seem to gravitate to. Um, is that indicative of the, the kind of writing that you had done before? Or was this kind of a new challenge to be sort of that raw with it? Well, whenever I first started writing in college, I think I wrote more like that. And then I became the queen of breakup songs, which I think, you know, like <laughs> that was, you know, that's a very common way to feel in your, especially in your twenties, you know? So it's like, that seems like a natural thing to happen. And also just writing on music row, there's never like, that's never a bad thing to write about because <laughs> everybody can relate. So I kind of, focused on that's mostly what I wrote for five years. And then, um, after whenever I was taking a break, I think I was so tired of breakup songs and, or just wanted to challenge myself to lean into something different and had so many important topics coming to the surface that, um, yeah, but I think now that, now that I've started writing again for my next project, um, definitely that theme is continuing, you know? So I think that's just like how I naturally want to write. That's how I wrote before I had a publishing deal. And that's how I write now without a publishing deal. <laughs> so how true to life are these songs? Like when I listen to these songs, it feels like you're pouring out your heart and you're telling me your deepest, darkest secrets in these songs. Um, but you could just be a fabulous fiction writer for all I know. How much of your, your real... Uh, life is in these songs? Oh, I'd say for most of my songs, I mean, I'm, I'm in all of my songs in some way. <laughs> I guess you have to be. Um, some of them are 100% autobiographical, like Daddy's Disappointment, Pretty, um, Mr. Wonderful is somewhere in between, like most of me, but then also drawn from experiences that I've, I've observed, which have a lot in common.
mine is my life. Like a lot of it is mostly me. And then a little bit of, a little bit of observational pieces. Um, and some of them are more observational, like old folks home, um, birdsong hollow. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's definitely a combination, but a, there is a lot of straight up autobiography, autobiographical stuff in there. That's, that's fascinating to me that you can take something that's so personal and powerful and still see that, well, maybe we need to add something in, or maybe we need to change something. Where, where does that, that desire to kind of add in those fictional elements or those other observations into your own story? Where does that come from? Um, I think you just feel it, which might sound hippie-ish to say, but for me, like I write something and then like I might edit it seven months later if, if something better, because sometimes I'll write straight up my life experience in a song and then I'm like, something doesn't feel right. doesn't feel as, compelling as it could be. Um, and that, cause sometimes I'm writing so directly about my life. I don't want to, I want it to be a hundred percent accurate, but then the artistic part comes in is like, no, I've heard about this and, or I've seen this in other people. And this is just, this just feels more compelling. This feels more relatable. So it's, it really comes down to a feeling for me whenever I'm making those kind of changes. Was it hard to kind of pour these things out for people the way they came out or, or is that built on kind of confidence knowing that this is going to work based on, you know, things like that first feedback? Oh, that's interesting. I think it's like a beautiful dance of both of them, you know, really now I think it's shifted to more confidence, um, about this set of songs, just because, you know, I've had a, a good amount of feedback at, at first it was terrifying, but I'm feeling the same way about my new songs now that no one has heard, you know? So like, it's, it's an interesting thing to be vulnerable. Yeah. It, it feels vulnerable and I feel vulnerable and confident at the same time. Um, but it's gotten way less scary to, um, to sing these to, to, elaborate on them. Like, I can't wait to tour this record and just sing it. Cause I think at that point, because I've had a year of telling the song, the stories behind the song, not quite a year, but I mean, I started releasing music. I released Mr. Wonderful in April of last year. So I've been telling stories behind the record for almost a year now. And, um, it doesn't feel as hard or as scary, but I'm sure it will all start again. <laughs> once. Once I release new music. <laughs> Where in the process did this whole pandemic come about? Because I have a feeling that you, you, you know, you finally decide to make a record. You finally decide to put it out. I'm, I'm guessing you didn't plan on putting it out during a pandemic. So the game plan must've changed. Well, we definitely thought about changing the game plan. Um, earlier, early on in 2020, I had talked with my distributor for this project and we mapped out a, a release plan. So it was like first single in April, second single in May, third single in June. Apparently that's how people do things now. And um, we actually didn't change the release plan or strategy. Although I did bring it up because I thought, okay, the world is, 
in distress right now. Do we need these heavy songs? You know, like, I don't know if this is going to be helpful. And selfishly, I didn't know if people were going to want to listen to music. And I thought, is there a better time? But um, we switched, we did switch the order of the single release, which I'm so glad. We were going to release Joy of Jesus first. He called her a slut just because she was singing about one night love. So she looked him up, said Trump pimps 2016, conservative Christian. You could hear him just laughing. Did your daddy not give you? I'm so glad. And then we ended up releasing it last. And I think that worked out so much better. And um, yeah, we definitely had to adjust, but the, like as far as like anything getting released in any of those states, they all they all stayed the same. And and to be fair, like I had I hadn't released a project since two thousand nine, so it was all new territory for me. Anyway, I didn't really have because that was pre-Spotify. I'm pretty sure there was no Spotify in 2009. I just released on iTunes and had physical CDs. And um, it was all new for me anyway. So it wasn't like I had a recent release to compare it to, which which I think kind of helped in a weird way. Um, I think I've benefited, I've benefited a little bit more from, in a, from 2020 than I realized I would a year ago. But ideally you would put these out and then you would go and play them for people. I'm getting like, have you had any opportunity to, to play these in front of an audience at all? No. And I mean, uh, not since the record came out, uh, not in person anyway. Um, I've done a couple live streams and by a couple, I mean like literally two. <laughs> um, and those were fun. And it's, it is fun connecting in a different way, you know, cause you can type, you can talk to people and see their comments, but it's, you have to kind of multitask if you're singing a song and you see people typing on the screen and it's really something actually, now that I think about it, I've done more, I've done two solo live streams and I've done a couple, like, uh, I just, for some reason that the, I don't, um, I don't want to uh, say something that's incorrect, but, um, yeah, I, I haven't had a chance to perform these songs live and since I think, uh, I mean, since early 2020 and um, feels weird. That said, my, my dream for that, for this record pre-pandemic was I want to release it and then tour, but I didn't have anything. I didn't have a tour booked. Um, the beautiful thing about this project is I released it, couldn't tour, but because someone had extra time to listen to my music, I now get to open a tour this year, like, and go all over the country, you know, and maybe that's better. I don't know. I guess we'll see. <laughs> I guess the record had to do more of the work for you than, than these days, I guess, typically it does. Uh, these days, more or less, you're, you're getting the word out you know, playing for people every night. And now you have to let the record kind of stand on its own and get out there on its own. Yeah. And I think that that has actually benefited me. I can only imagine like when, when you write something that you're really proud of 
and then just kind of cast it out there. Are you still hearing enough feedback from people to make you feel good about the reaction it's getting? Are people still giving you the reassurance that I'm sure a creator must need on some level? I mean, it comes in spurts. I feel like, well, just, I mean, for example, on Friday, I had this beautiful write-up in Rolling Stone, you know, out of nowhere. It was for Bandcamp Friday. And um, John Freeman wrote a really, really nice piece about my album. And he sent me a, he messaged me and said, you know, I just want to highlight your record while I can. And that was very sweet. So like little stuff, which is huge to me. I mean, that's like a dream outlet. So like that happens and people are still um, kind of stumbling upon certain songs every now and then, and then sharing and that kind of, then more people will come on board. But I think you just have, as an artist, you just have to know you're on a roller coaster and you can't, uh, you have to accept the the ups and the downs and you can't, the not constant validation. <laughs> so inc- inconsistent validation rather. Um, I think it's good for us, uh, but it, it's also, you know, not fun for the days when the negative, when the negative voices are loud. The music industry industry was in such a flux even before the pandemic. So, you know, you can't really, you can't, you couldn't really rely on too much anyway. So it's all kind of like the pandemic must be, you know, just an extension of that. Like, you know, you, you kind of do what you can do and you take what you can get and you hope it, hope it reaches some people. Exactly. I mean, you have to, you have to work as much as you can and then, leave a little room for the mystery too. Cause you can't control every anything and you can't control anything. So you, you can just do what you can do. Um, one thing I wanted to talk to you in particular about Stephanie, um, this, this show largely has a, has a component that's, that's built on kind of sharing stories of mental illness and mental health and, and the struggles that we kind of have, but often don't talk enough about and the one subject that, that I just don't even know how to talk about, I, I really don't know enough about, is kind of like the, the eating disorders. And you go and release this, uh, this song, Pretty, and, you know, the, and the video for it and everything, and it just kind of plays into exactly what I've been wondering about. I stuck fingers down my throat to fit into my skinny coat, and we all What can you tell me about that? Like how true to life is that song? And and can you talk a bit about those experiences if they are? Yeah. uh, That song is 100% my life. Um, I grew up as a, as a chubby child. And um, then in high school, whenever I started singing, got it at one of my country music shows I played, I ended up meeting uh, a, a former semi country, semi country star. I don't know if you, you like in the song, he's the has been. Then when I was 17, some old has been said to me, honey, you look like a million bucks. But if you 
and uh, he thought I was talented and I think he thought maybe he saw my parents uh, wallets I think is really what it was and he saw some talent in me and he told me what his wife so he, he, I'm five four his wife was five is I don't I don't keep up with him but his wife was five four and he told me that she was five four and 120 pounds and he saw her naked. And he knew that there was damn near zero imperfections on her. And I was like, okay. Um, but he, he said that I looked like a million bucks, but I would look like 20 million bucks if I got to her size, basically. And, you know, I'm like 16, 17. And I'm a people pleaser and I'm an achiever. And I hear that and I think, well, that's just part of, that's just part of it. If you want to be at the time, that was totally normal to hear something like that. And it was acceptable for someone to say to you, it's boggles my mind now. And I'm, I know it still goes on. Yeah. How could that ever be acceptable? But, but commonplace, I guess would be a, maybe a better word. Yeah. And I think it still happens now, but maybe more indirectly. Anyway, that's another, that's a whole, who knows? We can talk about that forever. But yeah, at the, at the time, that was totally normal to hear. And so I stepped up to the plate and I lost the weight. And I, at first it was just like counting calories. You know, I limited myself to 1200 a day. I'm really good. I'm good at math. So I could... I learned caloric values for everything and ran, I started running and I lost like 30 pounds over the summer. And, uh, you know, you get, you go back to school and everyone praises you for being thin and then you want to lose more. It's never enough. And, um, then I think at a certain point, quite frankly, you get hungry. <laughs> and so I, I think about nine eight or nine months after I lost the weight, I started binge eating at night at my parents, uh, at, at my house. And, um, yeah, that was, that was totally new to me. Cause even though I'd been overweight as a child, I never ate like that, like just like crazy amounts of food. And then I would go from that to then trying to exercise the same amount of calories that I estimated that I had um, taken in and I tried to be bulimic, but that didn't, I wasn't good at that. So I, <laughs> yeah, thankfully. So I guess that part was good, but then like I would occasionally abuse laxatives and I would, um, at a certain point, I would only let myself have a thousand calories on weekdays. And then I would let myself have 800 calories each day on the weekends and, um, yeah, it just got crazy restrictive. And then I would binge eat and then feel terrible. It's a weird, it's a weird, um, dynamic. It's a weird headspace and very complex and, um, really, really hard to rewire. But yeah, if you have any specific questions, I'm totally open to talking about it. I'm so grateful for that. It's really, I, I'm, I'm just trying to learn as much as I can. 
So did you have those kinds of doubts about yourself before, or was it just because someone famous and successful said this to you that it had such an impact? Like, was this something you had already been struggling with and then he just kind of put it into words or was it a new thing for you? Oh, definitely a struggle or in definitely an awareness, uh, just from being chubby when I was younger and, and I still was, um, I, I guess you could consider me kind of chubby whenever I was in high school, but not, I was just normal, you know, like I wasn't skinny, but maybe I don't, I don't know, but, um, I was definitely aware and wanted to be thinner and, you know, remembered those very, very painful, like the, the what I talk about in the song, like those two, uh, me at the Christmas pageant and me at the middle school dance. Those are two of the most painful memories I have from um, being made fun of or, you know, just feeling that the shame and uh, just that just incredible hurt from from people being cruel. So I, I had it was a perfect storm for an eating disorder. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, I, I don't know, for me, it just, uh, I'm always so astonished by these things because you're obviously so phenomenally talented. I think you're absolutely lovely. And obviously you have a family that loves you and somehow these, these voices can still get in your head and make you think that you're not good enough, even though you have these talents and you have people who love you. Yeah, it, it, it was, um, I think it's a lot of it is society, really. It's just, it's so embedded, um, you know, thinner is better. It, it, I didn't feel unlovable and this might sound weird, but like, even when I have body image issues, like I've, it, and even though my song is called pretty, like, I know I'm a pretty girl and that might sound weird. I, I feel that there's still, like I have a pretty face. There's still body image stuff. Um, it's, but I, I, I don't think I felt like a waste of space by any means. I felt very loved and valued, but I felt like my, um, I felt like I needed to look better. Um, I don't know if that makes sense at all. It's like, it's, it was, it was so complex. Like, uh, and the, 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 the beast of that illness is it's, it's so secretive. You can look like whenever I lost, whenever I was thinner, I was at a very health, I was still a very healthy weight. And, um, uh, I didn't look like someone with an eating disorder. Um, and the whole thing about that, that illness is it's, um, it's secret. And no one knows. They just think, oh, well, she's, oh, she's decided to get healthy. And uh, <laughs> that's the funny part. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's with thin, thinness. Yeah. They're like, oh, well, she's decided to 
take control of her health and get healthier and she looks great. And, and it's, it's so easy to miss it. And during the whole thing is, is, are there points in time where you know how ridiculous this is, where you know how unhealthy this is, but you're still doing it anyway? Like, are you aware of that? Or are you just so driven for the final result that you don't think about how ridiculous this is? Starving yourself and using laxatives and all this stuff. I don't think I had an awareness. Yeah, I, I knew it wasn't healthy. But I think, so I guess I did have, especially with the laxatives, that was the thing that kind of scared me. But what scared me more more was gaining weight. Um, And even though I would gain weight, (laughs) it was, it was, uh, so on some level, I knew it was unhealthy, but what overrode that was my fear of getting fat, my fear of not being thin anymore. Um, or being recognized for being thin. There's like, there's a weird high that comes along with it. Um, yeah. So do you get kind of addicted to the compliments when people notice that you've lost weight? Does that, does that become something that you're, you're continuously chasing? You want more of those? I think so. Yeah. I, I definitely felt like that. And then, uh, would develop an acute awareness for when people didn't say anything. Um, so especially if I, cause I knew, you know, I would know my weight at any given hour. <laughs> and, uh, if I'd seen someone and then gotten a little bit thinner over the last few times that they'd seen me, like, what if I saw someone and they didn't say anything about my size and that would kind of get to me, especially, or I would worry, I would think, Oh my gosh, I've gained seven pounds since I saw this person. And then I wouldn't want to see them or I wouldn't want to go to dinner. I I mean, I didn't want to go to dinner anyway, but it's, it's like, you know, and this is something that I still deal with. Um, You know, I saw this person, oh, I've gained 10 pounds. And then that will make me not want to see them. (laughs) And at least now I hear myself say it and it's freaking ridiculous. (laughs) Like it really is. But at the time there was so much, when I was younger, the fear overrode everything, the fear and the perfectionism. So how did you get out of the worst of it? Like, what was the turning point where you went, I'm not going to do this anymore? I don't know if there was a single point. I, at a certain point, um, like I, I gained some weight before I went to college, probably about where I was before I lost the weight <laughs> in, in high school. And then, uh, I struggled with binge eating all through college at not, not every day, but you know, it was a regular thing. And I, but I don't know the exact point that it changed. Like it, I feel like the binge eating stopped, um, around the time I graduated from college and I I don't know what it was. It was, I did, I know I got tired of that. Um, so eventually I stopped like having anything that, w- that I like to binge on at my house. I would, I stopped just buying that. And over time, I don't know if it's just like, I, I don't know what it was. I don't have it. Like, Cause I never went to proper therapy for it <laughs> for that. Anyway, I went to therapy years later 
but, um, and we, we talked a little bit, we talked some about my eating issues, but, um, I don't know. I think I pretty much got tired of it and that was, and then slowly trusted myself with eating again and stopped slowly stopped counting every calorie that went into my mouth. Um, yeah, it's, I wish I had a firm answer for that, but I just don't. Were there people who said stupid things when they noticed that you weren't quite as skinny anymore and things like that? Like, was there ever any danger of you going back to that or you just had enough? In my, I haven't really had that in my adult life. I mean, I've definitely had people commenting on, I'm always, you know, I think at this point I've accepted, I'm going to lose weight and I'm going to gain weight. And that's just how it is. Um, in my adult life, I really haven't had those people. If they're, if they're saying it, they're not saying it to my face. (laughs) So (laughs) about the gaining weight part, if I lose weight now and then I get all the comments, but, uh, which sometimes worries me about putting me into that again, but I've lost weight since being in that extra unhealthy place. And I think I mean, I don't know if I'm ever going to be fully over it, but I'm in a much better place now and uh, way more able to, whereas I used, I used to be like coming back to black and white thinking, like I used to think, oh, if I have one day where I'm bad, or if I do one thing that's in the realm of disordered eating, then it's ruined. Um, it's, I, I don't think like that now. I think I'm way more, I can tolerate a lot more complexity than I used to be able to tolerate, which is helpful. Um, but I mean, I've definitely made decisions in what I do and don't comment on as far as other people go. Cause I used to compliment, compliment weight loss too and say, Oh, you've lost weight. You look great. And I don't do that anymore. I have decided if anyone ever asked me if I've lost weight again, I'm going to say, I don't answer that question anymore. And, and just because it, and not to make them feel bad, just to be like, it reinforces a negative, negative, um, way of thinking and being for me. So I don't answer it anymore. <laughs> I think a lot of us, a lot of us need to just be more aware of that. And, and, uh, I want to look into more of that. I don't know if you've heard about health at every size. Um, it's, I want to look more into that. Um, and cause I have been, even though I've come a long way, I have been resistant to thinking about and really like leaning into broader, like something beyond thin is thin is the best. It, and, uh, I really want to read more about health at every size, like that movement. But um, I think it's just a slow process of rewiring my brain. Is it scary to write a song like this? Like, did you really intend to tell this story that way? Was it hard to do or was it like reliving past pain? It was mostly cathartic. I felt this. um, I mean, I felt compelled to tell that story because after I did go to therapy and learned about, we talked a lot about, um, inner children, like the inner children that we all have. And I knew I needed to write this for little girl, Stephanie. And, and so it started there. Um, 
like I knew I needed to revisit. Uh, I knew I needed to revisit some of those key painful moments to kind of help make sense of. Uh, okay, why did I follow this path? Um, and it really wasn't painful for me to revisit. It was cathartic. Um, and I mean, not that's not to say that I didn't feel intense emotion or feel sad momentarily, but overall it was worth that because it's like helping me make sense of and have grace for myself for having disordered eating habits, if that makes sense. Like, of course, of course you fell into this mindset and, and way of life. Like, how could you not, uh, with all these other, you know, this happened, you're, you're kind of, I've, I've heard that. Um, I mean, I think I've struggled with bouts of OCD in my life and OCD is related to eating disorders. And it's kind of like, um, it, it just helps me understand, like, it's okay. Like it makes sense why this is happening and going to the source of the pain is more helpful for me than, well, I've never really tried affirmations, but I think, (laughs) but I think that for me going to the source, the root of the pain is, um, more helpful, at least for where I am right now. I just think it's so amazing. And, and, you know, looking at the comments on the, on the video and the posts and stuff and hearing feedback from people I know, like so many women just see themselves in this and have been through it and, and know what it's like. And for you to, to put that into words and, and just be so open about it. I, I think that's really, uh, really brave and amazing. And, and, uh, I congratulate you and thank you for doing that. Thank you. It, it, it feels good. And I've been, just blown away by the response to that song in particular, you know, that, cause it was, I mean, you asked if it was terrifying, it was terrifying putting it out there and, you know, it was terrifying having my family hear it. It was, and just like going there. Um, and you know, like I, a lot of times I find it easier to write, to write about specific painful instances than, to like talk about them with actual people in front of me. That's probably something I need to go to therapy for too. <laughs> but like, I don't know. It's uh, it's been really healing. It's been part of my healing to just. I knew people understood it because as I've gotten older, I've been more open about that struggle. But I mean, on that scale, just so many people bearing their souls in the comments of my Instagram. It's like it's insane. Just something I wondered about there as you were saying that, like, was your family aware of how bad things had gotten for you or how wrapped up in your weight you were? Like, did people know or were you really just doing this on your own? Um, they, they didn't know. As I said, like, I looked healthy and, you know, they knew I was on the country stardom path and the nature of the beast is, is secrecy. So they didn't know. They just saw, well, she's trying to fit this. If you're, if you're going to be a country star, you have to look a certain way. So that's just how it is. And, you know, and, and, um, yeah, they, they didn't know. 
I'm so grateful to Stephanie for chatting and being so honest and open. I really learned a lot and really enjoyed the conversation. If you want to learn more about eating disorders, there are some great resources available through organizations like CAMH and CMHA. You can find links to those resources at flywithyourshadow.com. There you'll also find links to Stephanie's website and ways to purchase the incredible album that you've heard so much from and about on the show today. Remember that buying music from an artist as directly as possible can be a real lifeline in these difficult times, and it can really help them survive at a time when they can't tour or perform. Buying music and merchandise through Bandcamp or through an artist's website is the best way to make sure that most of your money goes to the artist. I actually held back a bit of my chat with Stephanie. You can hear more of it on the April 25th edition of my other show, Tell the Band to Go Home. Check out tellthebandtogohome.com for episodes and information. As always, I'd really appreciate it if you'd pass on the info about this episode to a friend, family member, coworker, or acquaintance who might find it interesting. Take a moment to talk about the show with your book club or post a link in your favorite Facebook group. Doing those things would really help the show to grow and thrive, and it would mean a lot to me. You can subscribe to the show and find out more information at flywithyourshadow.com, and you can get in touch with me with any feedback or questions at flywithyourshadow at gmail.com. I'm Jeff Robson, and I thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Fly With Your Shadow. I hope you'll join me again next time.